So you're at your parents' place this long weekend, obviously. I am uh, just around the corner from the bedroom where I spent my formative years. Yes, my parents uh, celebrated their 60th anniversary the other day, and there was a big celebration, and there was something for my father, who was a former mayor of the town. And now I'm sitting in um, a room that used to be where uh, my band used to play. Um, I have to confess two things. What's that? One, I totally forgot that we were rebooking the show for the middle of the long weekend. Okay. And two, I've had more than one pre-show cocktail. <laughs> All I can say is I'm glad this isn't last week's Sex Bots episode. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Artificial intelligence killed the DJ? Not quite yet. We'll introduce you to an artificial intelligence app developer who's making Spotify that much smarter. How machine learning is teaching the pop stars of today how to write the hits. And how to write programming for smarter robots for kids. We've got the Cosmo, a $250 supercomputer on treads. Plus, why Intel isn't the big winner in artificial intelligence. And why that title goes to a company best known for blowing up virtual bad guys. Hail to the king, baby. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. You have been programming music as a professional for what, 20 years, 25 years? Something like that. I've done it uh, for radio. I've been a club DJ. I've done it for live sporting events. Right. You've been doing this essentially since before they invented radio, right? Uh, pretty much. I would have to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the band. When you find out that artificial intelligence isn't just taking over the worlds of finance and technology, but music as well, how do you feel, old man? Well, it's it's a bit weird, although as somebody who was in a, uh, a nightclub situation for a very long time, you're always trying to figure out exactly what song should come next in the sequence of mixes you're doing. And there's, there's people in the, in, the, in, the, in the DJ booth, there's people yelling at you from the dance floor, there's what you want to do, and, and there's that sense of, of adrenalized panic that happens as you realize you're about a minute away from the end of a song and you got to keep the energy in the room going. <laughs> what do you play next? And knowing full well that the wrong choice will mean the dance floor is empty, people get upset at you, the manager gets upset at you and you may not uh, be able to get the momentum back, the party atmosphere back for, for you know, many, many mixes after that. So um, when I started looking at Skimmy, I was, in fact, I've got it on my phone here and I've been playing with it and... Um, it's taking over your job, basically. Well, it, it is kind of taking over my job, but it's, take, it's coming at it from a completely different... Um, 
vector than I thought it would because of what it's asking me to do. Well, let's just get into our interview, and I can I can maybe get a better idea of exactly what this thing is trying to do for me. How's that? Let's ask the man who made it. Uh, Tomas Karu joins us now from Finland. Am I correct? And that's correct, yes. Okay, so Thomas, I'm, I'm going through Skimmy, which uh, for everybody who's listening is S-K-I-M-M-E-E. So I fired up the app, it connected to my Spotify account, and then it immediately started serving up all these different songs that I can either X out or love. And I'm fascinated by the wide range of songs Skimmy is giving me to either approve of or disapprove of. Like I'm looking right now, it has come up as Mac Davis, It's Hard to Be Humble. Well, I'm going to X that out. And then the Cordettes, a song from the 1950s, I'm going to X that out. And then Cindy Lauper, X that out. But then another band called Danger, Danger, Kill in Love. I like that. What's it doing? What's it asking me to do? I guess the basic idea is as simple as that. It's proposing you some songs, then you either like them or you hate them. And based on that simple answer, then it's able to learn to know you better and then recommend even better songs. How many songs do I have to go through before it actually begins to create a playlist? As a matter of fact, it's like it's every every song you like is going to this uh, playlist in Spotify. So basically the idea is not that it would create you uh, like, a, like a perfect playlist for a party, but it's more like giving me these bookmarks that you can then later on continue arranging in Spotify and do, do whatever you want with them. But uh, the app is just kind of a simple tool to help you quickly browse through vast amounts of, of possibly interesting tracks. So help, help me understand how this is artificial intelligence. It sounds like at this early stage, when Alan pulls up the app, that this is machine learning more than anything else. And that having that wide range of options to X out is teaching the brain that you like specific genres or not. And then ultimately you would filter down into a core group of interests. Is that an accurate way to describe it? When you give it access to your Spotify account, it goes through your existing playlists and, you know, gets this kind of basic understanding of what might be your taste. Then it's using the API of Spotify to find similar tracks based on certain of these. There's this custom algorithm that is then giving prioritization to certain ones that you have liked a lot. And the hardcore artificial intelligence part is on, on the Spotify end, so there is a quite sophisticated engine for finding similar tracks. It's, it's really interesting because I continue to go through it as we're having this conversation. And the, the huge variety of, of songs, I mean, Blind Lemon Jefferson, a song that would be from 1927-28. And then the Bonzo Dog Band, which I like. I'll put that in there. Joni Mitchell and Woodstock, I, I like that. Uh, Phil Oaks, no, not him. Um, and, and because of such, I, I'm interested to see exactly what this thing ends up serving, serving up to me, given the wide variety of music that I'm being asked to write. <laughs> well, I'm fascinated about the, the artificial intelligence angle. As you pointed out, Spotify is doing the heavy lifting with the AI, but clearly you put effort into building this app. So what is it the Skimmy does that Spotify doesn't? What, what hole are you filling with this app? I'm a great fan of these Spotify tools, but somehow I've 
I felt like they are too slow or too too clumsy for this like quick browsing task. Like if you want to really like efficiently get exposed to new music, then uh, these tools quickly get you somewhere, but not all the way there. So I thought like maybe a more minimalistic or like this very down to earth. Um, solution that the user interface might bring something new to it. Where people do have an awful lot of trouble is when they're faced with the 35 or 37 million songs that are available out there on any digital platform and and hoping to find something that will uh, hold their attention. And you can go to the discovery playlist on, on Spotify, but it doesn't necessarily help you because the interface isn't nearly as cool as what we have here on skimmy because i get to at least see the the album cover and if i touch this and click that i can actually preview it oh yeah then you can always open it in the in the spotify if you want to go to to spotify if you tap this small uh, spotify logo there but um the normal or the intended usage of this search is that you find some results you tap one of them then it goes back to this like or don't like view and um, then it starts giving you similar tracks right okay well I'll tell you what I'm um, to, to I'm gonna I'm gonna end keep playing with this because I find it I find it a lot of fun just to <laughs> just to keep going through all the songs <laughs> well it's kind of like a fidget spinner but for a guy in the music or something like that you know what that's exactly what it is Tomas thank you so much for your time all the best to you sir <laughs> okay thank you thanks for having me Tomas Karu of Skimmy the music discovery through artificial intelligence and Spotify thanks a lot if you're like me and I know I am you like beats and vaguely tolerate geeks so you might as well friend us on Facebook geeksandbeats.com slash content and click the like button or search for us on Facebook. You'll validate our existence, see the stories before everyone else, and bring us one step closer to achieving world peace. think you uh, you have any risk of losing your job anytime soon I, I don't think so although this is a small step towards that sort of thing if, if people who are if you're not aware of it what happens with radio stations that we use a, a number of radio stations and radio networks use a number of music scheduling programs there's uh, selector there's selector gold there's music master and, and so on and these are essentially big databases that are like iTunes on steroids that allow you to create these special playlists for radio stations with songs into different categories you can categorize songs by mood and tempo and key and uh, age and a whole bunch of other things so that when you plug everything into the music playback system and we all use uh, hard drive playback systems in radio these days you get a the, the 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 program spits out the list a list of songs to play in this order and that's basically what we're talking about but a music director or a music assistant still has to go through that list 
song by song to make sure from a human point of view that one song goes into the next song appropriately and and to cancel out any errors that the database may discover. Uh, for example, there's something called artist separation, for example, where you don't want to have a song by the same artist come up within a certain period of time or uh, genre separation. And, and sometimes the databases will be set up so that you actually have to go in and manually fix it because the computer couldn't do it. But anyway, it's still, yes, you're right. It, it is coming at some point, and big data plays a very big role in that. Before we were talking about artificial intelligence, we were talking about big data, and most people went, okay, right, whatever that is. That's a massive collection of uh, transactions at your local pharmacy, and so we know who's doing what. And so, big, so what? Big deal. Now you can... Sp- bit out some more advertisements at me. But what it is, is it's the foundation for artificial intelligence, because what makes machine learning possible is that massive amount of data. We know this with the smart car technology, where we're getting to the level of self-driving cars by them monitoring road conditions. And when people who have these vehicles that they're testing have to regain control, it tells us an awful lot every time that happens. And it makes it that much more likely it doesn't have to happen in the future. So I can imagine the same thing happens with with an iTunes, the number of downloads, what you're listening to next, what you skip over. All of those things will give us a massive amount of insight into what people really are interested in at any given time. Now, here's the problem with that is uh, it is a it is a recommended if you like system. So in other words, I will give you this because you have shown that you have indicated a preference for this artist, this album, this song, this genre, this era, whatever, and it serves up more of the same. Now, that's fine if you want more of the same. Where we run into a problem is where people aren't discovering something truly new outside their comfort zone. Sometimes it takes repeated unintentional exposure to uh, to something before the penny drops and you go, yes, I get it. And it's not just music. It's, uh, you know, uh, uh, political thought, it's social thought, it's, it's all these things. And without somebody telling you or forcing you to listen to something outside what you would normally listen to, you don't expand your, your horizons. You know what I'm saying? I do, and I think that's a very easy fix in the form of slipping in new music with what you do already like, and the varying degrees at which you do that would create the flavor for any given uh, music streaming service. But it still all comes back uh, to the big data side. And when it comes to crunching all of those numbers, it's an insane amount of data. And so the computer chips that are used may not necessarily be the computer chips you think they are. Do you know who one of the biggest artificial intelligence computer chip makers in the world is today? No, I haven't got a clue. NVIDIA. Oh, okay, because graphics chips are being used increasingly for supercomputer-style crunching. And the reason why is the architecture of a GPU versus a CPU. So companies like Intel have been left in the dust in this department. Google is even building its own dedicated chip for artificial intelligence. But the difference between a CPU and a GPU that makes a, a chip that was traditionally designed for you know high-end video games possible to be punched into the artificial intelligence world is you sort of think of it like... 
uh, a multi-lane highway is a GPU. The highway doesn't go very far, but there are a lot of lanes, whereas CPUs don't have a lot of lanes, but they go a long distance. The types of computing you're doing determines whether or not you want to go that great distance or that short distance very quickly with a lot all at once. Which is why we hear stories about universities and other research facilities building supercomputers that have PS4s. Exactly, because that has the ability to be networked amongst themselves. They're using a chip that's designed to pump a lot of information simultaneously onto a screen. But instead of pumping it onto the screen in the form of polygons that take the shape of the bad guy you're trying to kill, they take the form of the answers to the questions based upon this massive data set they're trying to crunch. See, the Echo Nest, which is the big data component of Spotify, they bought this company quite some time ago, and now they're using that technology to serve up recommendations. But what I also like about what they're doing with the Echonest is they're making this information available more or less to the general public. There's a lot of proprietary information that they're keeping to themselves, but they're, they're telling us what they're learning from tens of millions of streams every day and what people are listening to. For example, uh, one of the things that we have learned is that Spotify will not pay for a stream unless you reach the 31 second mark of the song. They know exactly how what percentage of listeners will skip a song uh, if it is unfamiliar at what point in that first 30 seconds, 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and so on. And they're finding that an alarming number of people are skipping a song within the first 5 to 7 seconds. So what that's doing, well, there's two things that are, that are happening. First of all, uh, pop songwriters, which are the ones who are benefiting most from streaming right now, are writing songs with shorter intros and with something that is more likely to hold a listener's attention to that crucial 31 second mark. You've got to get the hook in early. You do. You start with the chorus. You have multiple hooks in those first uh, you know, 15 seconds. The other thing that's happened is that the length of an intro, and we used to talk about hitting the post in, in the days of radio, where, where you would talk over the instrumental introduction of a song before the vocal started. And that, if it was a nice long one, that's where you did the weather. That's where you did the weather. But now, 20 years ago, what happened was uh, a typical a typical intro average was 17 seconds. Today, that intro is five seconds. Oh, so you get the station ID in and you're out. That's it. So this machine learning and the data that we're getting back from it is changing the fundamental nature of songwriting. The artificial intelligence world is also changing the fundamental nature of playing with toys. So we got here at Studio 3B East a little toy which they themselves call the $250 supercomputer on treads. It's a Cosmo. Never heard of it. What is it? It looks like a little miniature bulldozer with a little happy face on the front, and it is an artificial intelligence machine learning game computer slash programming gadget for kids and for researchers. Okay. It's absolutely fascinating. It uh, You can, again, it's primarily, I would think, oriented towards kids. So you're teaching children about object-oriented programming where you can drag and drop various commands for this robot to respond to, and the commands can be based upon such things as facial recognition. It has a VGA camera built into it that will feed back the signal to your iPad, and that's where the, the real power is being, uh, being crunched right 
right there, is it's recognizing faces. So if I see Alan, do this. If I see Michael, do that. So you can trigger actions with that. And if you want to take it to a whole new level, the thing has an SDK. You're familiar with this? Mm -hmm. Software development kit. A software development kit, and it's powered by Python, which is massive uh, for you know beginners in the in these educational market and for researchers as well. So if you don't want to uh, build your own artificial intelligence robot for research purposes, or just as a kid who has an interest in this, uh, you buy this two hundred and fifty dollars supercomputer on Treads, and when it showed up at the Geeks and Beats Studio Three B East, my eleven year old daughter lost her shit really she knew all about it she did i had never heard of the thing before in my life before it had shown up and i was the best dad in the world so i said yes go nuts with it do whatever you want and then the one thing i need you to do is file a report for geeks and beats (laughs) cosmo is a robot designed for kids The thing that I like most about Cosmo is that you can play games with him and that over time he'll learn and adapt and he'll eventually get better and better at all the games. And he has a little lift that he uses to pick up his little power cubes which come with Cosmo. The power cubes are little plastic cubes with lights that you can play games with and Cosmo can interact with. He uses a lot of trial and error because if he messes up, he will he will get sort of annoyed by it and then eventually he just adapts to not making as many mistakes. Like when I first got him, in a lot of the games he would make a lot of mistakes because he never actually tested them out. That specific robot had never actually tested them out before. You can program the robot. It's more of a drag-and-drop format sort of thing. So you can get him to drive, like, in squares, have, like, different animations, pick up and drop all his power cubes. Cosmo has a camera. The camera is basically his eyes to see everything around him. And my favorite part about the camera is that the camera uses facial recognition so that if Cosmo sees you, he will greet you and say your name. He's a lot like a pet and you can play with him. And while he learns too, you can play games with him and then he'll get better and better, which makes it even more challenging for you, the player. Olivia Hainsworth, Geeks and Beats, Toronto. I'm fascinated by this thing. This, you know, when we have kids who are able to create programming with basically, you know, blocks of Lego code, this leads to some interesting if this, then that kind of results. Precisely. You are teaching a child um, cause and effect in the computer world and how they are in command of what that cause and effect is. And when I got into computer programming at at 14, 15, uh, it was my life for like five years. One of those things where you look out the window and you see that the sun is going down. You think maybe it's time for bed. And then you realize, no, that's the sun coming up. (laughs) Yeah. So she's hooked on this and she's fascinated by that cause and effect and that ability to drag and drop program the whole thing and that it's got this face like you can even set it up so that it can tweet 
your face when it recognizes you. No kidding. Yeah, and it's all tied into the SDK. So how long has she had this thing? She's had it for about four days. Okay, has she done anything remarkable with it or frightening with it? She has tried to attack me once or twice with it, <laughs> uh, but it has this really neat game where, um, and the neat thing too is that it is, it's it's gamified, if I can say that. Uh, so to unlock certain capabilities, you have to advance in the game. Okay. So um, one of them involves a game of keep away where uh, you try to keep one of these blocks from from grabbing one of the blocks with this uh, forklift like set of, of, of hands at the front. Again, it looks like a lot like a bulldozer or a forklift. And uh, the other one is because it's got that camera, it can sense what the difference is between your hand and just your finger. And if you try to poke at it, you'll try to grab at your finger. Wow. Think how we could torture your dogs. Oh, no kidding. You know, the dogs, uh, the dogs have, have come to accept the Roomba <laughs> without much trouble. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Hello, Alan. Mike from Burlington here. Patreon subscriber and great fan of the show. I was wondering if you could explain about sales for markets like China with its 1.3 million consumers or India with its 1.1 billion consumers. I've always wondered, like, you know, there's got to be artists in India and in China that sell easily millions and millions of copies domestically that we would ever hear about here. And I always wondered how those sales are tabulated. Love the show. Enjoy the back episodes. Talk to you again soon. Every territory has their own system of keeping score here in the west we have billboard which has a number of charts that break things down into what people are listening to at what level in the uk they have a company called the official charts company that does the same sort of thing uh france spain germany they all have their their own charts because charts are the way that people keep score and it has to do with the way the music industry competes with each other uh, i don't know of any uh, charts in either India or China, but I'm sure they exist. And I tell you what, I'm going to be in Singapore in September for what's called Music Matters, which is the big Asian music industry conference. I'll ask around and I'll see exactly how they tabulate and keep track of what's selling in those countries. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. 47.88% of the donation dollars in the last month on our Patreon account were declined. <laughs> Including repeat co-producer David McKittrick, who you may or may not recall from past episodes, we were getting quite concerned that every time we dinged him 25 bucks an episode to be the co-producer supporter of the big show, that maybe he didn't realize it was happening. Well, we have no worries about running up his credit card bill. Okay, now who's who's <laughs> been doing the declining, the, the patrons or the Patreon? Most likely a case of an expiration of a credit card while the time we were on our ever-so-brief 18-month hiatus. Okay, that makes sense. Um, 
you lose a credit card, you damage a credit card, you renew a credit card, uh, and all of a sudden you got to update everything. That's been the bane of my existence because um, for whatever reason, the way I put my, wa- my, my wallet in my pocket, my cards crack along the magnetic strip. So I'm forever getting a new Visa card or Amer- new American Express card because they're, they're damaged. And each time I get one, it has a new number, which means i got to go back to Amazon and everybody else that has pre-authorized uh, expenses. Uh I gotta. Otherwise, I, I I can't buy anything. So as it stands now, we've got pretty much half of the actual donations for the month of July that we were anticipating. Uh, and so oh, I, unfortunately, it means that our Ace Show executive producer Vanessa Zoli is going to have to wait a little bit to be able to <laughs> take her hubby out for dinner, uh, as we had hired her, telling her, "Well, it's not going to be a lot, but uh, I don't think we expected it to be this little." Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, we the, the 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 bills by and large have been paid. Yes, that's 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 good. However, I guess the 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 appeal this week is please check your Patreon accounts with us because we're <laughs> not getting what you promised that you would give us. Uh, and if you want to give more than a dollar, you, know, you can still be a member of the world's worst intern program. And if you're not familiar, what makes it the world's worst intern program is you pay us a dollar to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and all you do is get thanks from us on the big show. Yes, and um, but they're 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 heartfelt thanks. They very much are. Oh yes, we really, really, really appreciate what you're trying to do. So we want to thank Aaron Warner for uh, joining us as a member of the world's worst intern program as an intern. Blaine Matheson, you were declined. <laughs> Blaine Bartlett, you were declined. Charles Bolstridge, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's that feeling that you get when you put your debit card in the machine and it takes a very long time to send back your approval, but then you get that declined message for whatever reason, that feeling that you get in your stomach. Yeah, that happened a whole bunch of times just now. And then you look up at the checkout counter and they're looking at you like deadbeat. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.